I'm reporter Chris, and this is The Francis Report. This is The Francis Report, with your hosts, Jeff Francis and Michael Bird. So Mike, we're here with a special guest. Very special guest, honored to be here today. The honor is all mine, gentlemen. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Chris Johnston, and I'm not an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been a while since our last episode, but we were saving up for uh, this episode, which we're recording today. Um, So we're just gonna basically run it like an interview and ask Chris some questions and uh, see how it goes. First question. Uh, recently, the NHL has given permission to Bill Foley to do a ticket drive uh, in Vegas to see what kind of interest is there for the NHL. Right. What are your thoughts on, as a sports fan, what are your thoughts on there being a team in Nevada, especially Las Vegas? Well, I'll tell you guys, I, I've come around on this one a little bit. Uh, you know, when I first thought of the idea and, you know, I, I went down, I covered four or five of those NHL awards shows they've had down there. So I've sort of seen a little bit what NHL players and NHL people are like in Vegas. And frankly, they're no different than anyone else who goes to Vegas. Uh, and so I was a little bit hesitant. But, you know, as I've, I've done a bit more research and, and talked to people, uh, I do think that this is a good idea. and. and you know, Las Vegas, there's a lot more to it, I think, than, than those of us who visit and, and you know, drink beers and gamble on a strip and know about it. There, there's a real, you know, town that's being built there. And, you know, I think the fact the NHL is going to have a new arena to move into uh, right on a strip is, is a big draw. And, and uh, you know, there's some value, I believe, as well, to being the first team in, in the door, first big league pro sports team. And, you know, by having this ticket drive as they are, they're going to prove... You know, I believe beyond a reasonable doubt that there's enough uh, fan support to, to support a team. They have 40 million visitors a year, uh, and as you guys know, a lot of them are Canadian, a lot of them are hockey fans. You got to think other teams, the Chicago Blackhawks, are going to run uh, a fan trip there when they visit Vegas and, and and bring their fans along. I think a lot of teams will do that. And to me, it's it's a no-brainer, especially because of the arena and Bill Foley, the guy you mentioned, uh, who made his money in the financial business, but now owns some wineries as well, is is the real deal. He's he's got lots of money, and, and the two things that tend to doom uh, NHL teams more than anything is poor ownership or poor setup with with regards to the building and not enough uh, ability to make money. And, and I just think it's all there, and we're going to find out when the, those tickets start going on sale. I. Uh... I'm interested in buying season tickets. Really? Yeah. I think that uh, it would be a fantastic trip. Uh, I don't think I'd be able to go to a lot of the games, but I think for a corporate, the corporate aspect of it, they could do a lot of package deals with tickets uh, down there with um, like uh, So are you actually going to put a deposit down? I, yeah. If my fiance lets me, we talked about it in like a preliminary discussion. <laughs> she lets me. Yeah. I've been on a few of those type of discussions in the past myself. And that she's might not the be. prime minister of, or she's the minister of finance uh, in our house. So right. everything's got to go through for approval, but our in preliminary discussions with her, it, it, it's looking good. Right. Uh, I think her big thing is, is that we don't have to actually pay for the tickets for a little bit from now. So right. you, pay, you put your deposit down, wait to see if the team gets there, and then once the team gets there, you buy your tickets. And she's, she said she was okay with that. But when it comes to putting the deposit down, we'll see how okay she is with that. Now, right. we're not, we're gonna, we wouldn't be looking at like lower bowl seats. We'd be looking at upper bowl seats. Sure. It's um, 150 buck deposit, I think, yeah. for the, the cheapest deposit. Yeah, and you, know, you do the math. 
I think the for one seat, cheapest season seats at the Leafs is like twenty five hundred dollars for the year. But you can get two seats for like sixteen hundred dollars for the new Vegas team if they get one. So. So have you? Now I realize we're in preliminary discussions yes. here, but have you? decided how you're going to deal with these tickets. I mean, if you go down for a homestand and catch a couple of games, but you're going to have 30-odd games worth that you probably aren't attending. I mean, how, yep. how's that going to be handled? I, we usually have lots of friends that go down. I'm not saying that they would be interested, that we could pawn all our tickets off on them, but right. I think we would we'd probably sell them. And we'd sell them online, uh, like StubHub or something. I feel, like, I feel like in the first season, you definitely get a lot of your money's worth because it'd just be a new thing yep. in a new city where it's just yep. so exciting and there's right. a hockey team and you'd be able to sell the tickets for a good price. But if the team goes to Vegas and flops, you're stuck with... Yep. But you can do one-year commitment. That's true. They want one, three, five, and ten? Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? It's probably just a pipe dream that it won't come to you know, fruition for me. I'll but. say this, though. There is, there's a draw, even for someone in my position who's been lucky to attend a lot of sporting events. The idea of being a season ticket holder of a team is pretty cool. And, yeah. and, you know, I only did it once myself back in high school with a buddy. I was an Argo season ticket holder. Oh, nice. Which, which you know, as you imagine, I can't remember the price, but it was pretty cheap. Yeah. And uh, we, we'd drive up. I lived at that time an hour away. And even that was cool, just like you get it in the mail and nine or ten tickets, whatever it was at the time, and it's like, we own these seats. We're going to be in this every game. And I can understand the draw, you know. Yep. And, and hopefully a lot of people are interested like that. Like, I'm probably not going to end up getting the season tickets, but... Wait a minute, so we just it, wasted right? two minutes <laughs> no. talking about it? No, 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 it all depends on what fiancé says, right? Right, but well, I hope she's not listening. No, I'd be super interested in that. No, I'd love she to doesn't go. listen to the show. <laughs> I'd love to go. We're in the trust tree, then. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to go see the Leafs' first game down there. I think that would be fantastic. Right, that'd, that'd, be a, that'd probably yeah. be a crazy, It'd be a neat, crazy game. a neat road trip. Now, is the feeling with Las Vegas that it would be franchise relocating or just a new team for like the next expansion of the NHL? My sense is it's going to be expansion and you know the, the big tip off for me was when they unveiled uh, the ticket package for the deposits that they're going to start taking. It's very explicitly says for, for play starting the 2016-17 season meaning the plan is there right and you know I guess there's every there's a chance let's say the Phoenix Coyotes I think would be an obvious potential candidate and we've heard them talk about a lot I just don't see them moving by 2016-17, frankly. I think that they have a, you know, they're under new ownership. Uh, there's some troubles in Florida, but, but my my sense of where the NHL is at right now is Vegas will be expansion. It's going to be first on its own. Uh, once a building gets built in Seattle, I think that'll be the 32nd NHL team. And, and I do think Quebec City will eventually get a team that, that has to move. When you see one get into some trouble and they, and they have a safe spot for it to go. Do you think the expansion fees for Vegas would be the same as it would be for Quebec City, or would you think the NHL would try and kind of pull the extra dollar from, from Quebec City, because it seems to be a more wanted uh, team or location in Canada, at least. Right. Well, the thing is, they can still get a, a relocation fee, they call it. The, when, when Winnipeg uh, relocated in 2011 from Atlanta, uh, I can't remember the exact sum. It might have been $70 million, I think, maybe a little bit more. Uh, in this case, for Vegas, you know, some NHL owners are talking about 450 to 500 million uh, to get the team, and, and that's big dough. I mean, let's face it. And, and weirdly, I actually think, despite the, the obvious fan interest in Quebec City, the size of the market—I'm not sure if you could get that much money for that team. You know, I, I'm not saying you can't, but weirdly, I think Vegas might be the better option to get the big expansion fee. And you know, 
Gary Bettman's been at this a long time now, two decades in his job, and he knows, listen, every every sports league wants to have every team be perfectly healthy. They want no teams to be bad. They don't want no problems. There's always problems. There's always a few franchises, and I think there's value in having a market like Quebec City that you could move a team you could decide May 1st, and on May 2nd, you could probably sell every ticket you need. I think having a sure thing in their back pocket, especially now that they've built a new arena that, that'll be completed later this year, um, you know that it, they, he wants to have that safety blanket. And I think they're dreaming big with some of these other ones to try to to try to grow the sport. I mean, like that's that's still what it's all about. I mean, we love hockey here. Obviously, you guys have a hockey podcast. I'm employed in this game. Probably most of your listeners are Canadian, and, and hockey's part of our blood. But you know, if, if we don't compete as a sport for the top athletes, it, it could become irrelevant over time. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but the, the value in my eyes of having hockey in southern warm places, despite how Canadians want to sneer at it, is that you're getting kids who play hockey. And in 2016, the top NHL draft pick as of now is going to be a kid named Austin Matthews, who grew up in Scottsdale, which is where the Coyotes practice rink is and in half an hour from where they play their games uh you know in vegas there, there's kids that have come from vegas that have played in the nhl i think i think we want to have the best athletes and i think this is a way to grow the, the reach of the sport with, with talking about the matthews from scottsdale but brian leach came from a non-hockey market corpus christi corpus christi texas texas yeah that's not really a big hockey market down there right so the sport is growing pretty good but you know you, you look at someone like seth jones whose father obviously played in the nba and you know you look at the way he's built and given his genes i think we could surmise that had he had he fallen in love with any sport there's a good chance he'd be good at he, it. he had a genetic yeah. advantage that most of us don't enjoy his height his build obviously his mind and I think it's great that he chose hockey because he's a fantastic hockey player he's a good ambassador for the sport playing in Nashville another sort of non-traditional place and I just think he's an example of the type of guy you want playing hockey instead of basketball selfishly if you want the sport to grow and to appeal to people we want the best athletes it makes the game better yeah. and and I, I just think that you know having teams in California we're seeing more and more kids every year drafted from California you know, lots of examples, but you know the Dallas Stars, which obviously weren't around when Brian Leach was growing up, but they've been one of the success stories. They built 10 or 12 minor hockey rinks in Dallas, and it's a huge sport there now. You know, and and that's that's part of the footprint. I think that's what that's got to be the model for these teams. It, I think that going to places that are unusual is trying to build the, that the grassroots level because that's where you get your fans from. That's where you get your athletes from long term. We'll move on. All right, sure. Um, so it was an interesting week, as we all know, obviously, in Winnipeg uh, right. with the Evander Kane story, and you were one of the first to break a story or give us more details on what was going on there. Right. Just wanted to get a little bit more of your thoughts on that, and if last year in the NFL we saw a lot going on with bullying and hazing with the Richie Incognito um, story in Miami, does this go on more often in the NHL than we hear about, or is this a rare occurrence that just got really ugly really quick? Well, this is a story that I think is interesting on a number of levels. I mean, the, the details themselves are rather salacious, especially when you first hear them, because we're not used to hearing that sort of thing. And I, and I think that that's one of the noteworthy parts of the story is that this has been kind of left the, the, the comfy confines of the locker room. And I do think a lot goes on in there that even if someone myself is in NHL dressing rooms every day, there's stuff I obviously don't know about. And, you know, I've had a few players say that there's more FU fights behind closed doors than you'd ever imagine. You know, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of pressure. I mean, obviously the guys are paid well. It's a great life. I would switch places with them in a moment's notice. But they are under uh, a microscope, and, and they are in a competitive environment. And when things don't go well, they can go wrong. And, and you know, there's also 
a lot of egos. There's a lot of very competitive people that have become one of the 700 best in the world at what they do. And when you put that in a, a closed room, you could understand where, where issues arise. And and so, and specifically to this case, I think it's the most unusual thing is that we know about it, really. Yeah. And, and we don't know everything, you know, and that's... Uh, that's why when you raise bullying, I think it's a, I think it's a very good question. But unless anyone in the room, or Vander Kane himself, is willing to speak about it, you know, we're only kind of guessing at what exactly went on. And, and clearly, there's an issue here uh, with Evander and his teammates, or his teammates and Evander, or maybe Evander and a specific teammate. There's so many questions that you know we'd love to know more about. But my guess is because of that locker room culture. You know, we got a little glimpse in the, the window, but I think everyone's closing, you know, reins now here. Everyone's saying, what happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. And, and we probably won't, again, unless Evander Kane himself comes out, you know, like the, uh, the case in the NFL last year and, and is willing to discuss it, then, you know, I think that there's a, there's a real question. Was this bullying? What's going on here? Is this acceptable? Uh, but, you know, absent the, the necessary details, I think it's hard to make that value judgment for us sitting here now. So if you're the Jets and the debate whether off-ice issues outweigh on-ice skill, obviously Kane is a skilled player who right. has potential to be really good. You you personally, if you were the GM, if you were Kevin Trevaldayoff, do you value his skill over the off-ice issues or is it just it's done in Winnipeg, he needs a fresh start, um, much like Boston probably regrets trading Tyler Sagan now. Right. Chicago wouldn't want to trade Patrick Kane, who's had his issues, obviously. So where do you stand on that? Well, you know, it, it's a young man's game now, hockey. And, and Vander Kane's still a relatively young player, 23 years old. And, and I think that the trick is Kevin Sheveldayoff knows he's probably losing that trade. And that, if this didn't happen this week, I would say that. When you're giving away a skilled player that's that young, you just know he's going to go somewhere else, fresh start, and be dynamite and be everything that you wish he could be. And, and they've tried, I think, to be patient with him. Uh, I know they entertained serious trade offers for him last summer and around the draft last year. And I think that they, they've been hoping and hoping and hoping something will change. But this incident, to me, is likely his last moment as a Jet, I think. I mean, especially now that he's done for the season with the shoulder injury, it gives them a, I believe, that they're really trying to move him before March 2nd in the trade deadline. But if they aren't able to do that, they still have a whole summer before he'd be back at training camp again. And, you know, this is the, the rare case where it appears the teammates drew the line in the sand. And again, I'm, I'm having to assume a few things with only knowing part of the story. But, you know, as you're, if you're a GM and you've got a, and it's a particularly tight knit group there in Winnipeg, I mean, prior to all this and the five game, I guess six game losing streak now that they're on. Like, this was one of the great stories in hockey this year. This is a plucky team, not spending big money, doing it the right way, kind of the boring way. You know, they've resisted making splashy moves. Getting goaltending, where maybe the last few years they haven't been getting goaltending. It's probably, goaltending. you know, it looks like that's... A lot of people have been saying that, their yeah. fans and, and observers. Yeah. And, but now it's playing out. We're seeing that. I mean, Hutchinson... Most people, this guy played in the ECHL last year for, for a stretch, and now he's giving NHL, above average NHL level goaltending, and it's made a difference. And so it's been a good story, and that's why I think if the players seem to be speaking up in this manner and, and kind of policing things with Kane, at least as it appears, then I do think it's on the GM to try to trade him. But you're definitely not winning that trade now. You weren't winning it anyway, but you're now you're just trying to salvage something. So in the NHL announced that in 2016 they're going to do they're going to bring back the World Cup of Hockey. A lot of people are not a fan of the new format. 
but you are you like it. I'm the one guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm direct all your Twitter hate yeah. at me because it seems <laughs> yeah. that everybody already has for three months on this one. What is, what is it that you like about this? Well, what I love about it to begin with, and I think it's probably what you guys do, I love that they're bringing the event back. I yeah. love that there's going to be more chance to see international competition because I'm a huge proponent of that, and, and I just love that. But I recognize that there's a lot, you know, they've only just made this agreement in the last month, finalized it. And they want to have the tournament in 16, 17 months' time. I, I just don't think that there was the requisite amount of time to pull together a proper qualifying format. So they looked at the problem like this. How do we fill out an 18 field? What's fair? And how do we showcase the most possible NHL players that we can? And, you know, I know they talked. Do we do, we do seven countries and then do a European all-star team? They, when they looked at it, like they did fake rosters or, or theoretical rosters, they are worried that that European all-star team, if you took seven nations, would be too weak. Uh, and so the, I think what they're trying to do, frankly, is eliminate the 7-1 round-robin game that you see in most tournaments. You, you saw it in Sochi uh, with some of the weaker teams when, when, they, when they faced the, the stronger nations. So they had to be creative. They had to think outside the box. And I know the under-23 team in particular, uh, made up of North American players, has upset people. You know, it's going to really hurt the U.S., frankly. Not that it won't with Canada. There'll be a couple players that would be on the big squad, but I think the U.S. is going to lose some of their better players, whether it's a Brandon Saad, even Alex Galchenyuk at that point, if you're forecasting where he's at 18 months from now. And But, you know, to me, I think it's, it's getting the eight, best eight possible countries, and they've also made, finally, a commitment to having it just be a pure nation event in 2020, that they want to, they want, they just got to kickstart the thing again. And, and you got to start somewhere. And, and I know, I understand that it's not the same. You're not, there's no crest, there's no flag. Heck, what national anthem are they going to play if, if that team wins a game? I mean, I don't, these are all questions. Who's going to run the team? Like that, that, those are important questions and it's going to be difficult, but. But it might be good for the players that play on a, a team that, like a country that doesn't have a very skilled hockey team. Well, they're skilled. I mean, they go through a tournament to get there, but you know they're they're not as good as the top four teams or the top six teams. It gives them a chance to be on a team that could beat Canada or Sweden or U.S. So I think that's good because it'll give a chance to grow the game in that regard. Because that's the point of it is to grow the game. Right. And it'll give players that you know if they only have eight countries, well, there's going to be a bunch of teams that aren't going to be there, which in turn will be a bunch of NHLers that aren't going to be there that will get to be there now because they have that team of the European All-Stars. Well, put yourself in Nanze Kopitar's skates. And, you know, Slovenia, his country, you know, there's six outdoor, sorry, there's not outdoors, six total ice rinks mm -hmm. in the country. And, and, you know, they beat Slovakia in a quarter, sorry, in a round-robin game to get to the quarter, just to qualify for the quarterfinals in Sochi. And that was like his gold medal. Now we yeah. can actually think about, it's not a gold medal, and it's not the same level as the Olympics, but now we can actually think about trying to win. You know, this yep. was one of the best centermen on earth. He's won two Stanley Cups, obviously, in L.A. He's going to have stronger teammates around him. And, I, and I'm sure some part of him wishes it was his country. Yep. But if it was his country, he knows he was going to get filled in most, most games. He's got to do a lot of it by himself. And that's not, you know, I think you probably won't hear him say it because he's worried about disrespecting his country. But I think he's, you know, I talked to him a little bit at, a couple weeks ago at the All-Star game. And like, I think he's genuinely excited about the chance to, A, be part of it because... Let's face it, Slovenia probably would have been one of the eight anyway. And B, be on a team that just theoretically should be able to compete, at least if, if you look at the, the players they're, they're likely to have. And, you know, I think 
again, it, it's it's not perfect, and it's maybe against the spirit of what the event originally was conceived of. But this is just a made-up hockey tournament. Yeah, this is. isn't the Olympics, right? Yeah. This is a spectacle of hockey, and I think the games are going to be good. I think for all the bitching and moaning, when you watch the under-23 North American team go up against, say, Team USA, and let's say they beat them, who isn't going to be cheering? Like, I know, I think it's going to be great. And, and it, we have to just sometimes take a step back and take a deep breath and realize this is just, it's, it doesn't, like, it's not the Olympics. That's the point. It's not, the, it's, it's meant to be entertainment. And I think it will be entertaining. I've been told many times to hand my passport back because when it comes to international hockey, I, I tend to lean more towards Team USA with Phil Kessel, JBR, that wow. I did. And I, I've taken a lot of heat over this in the past. But that I'm shocks a, me. I'm a big Leaf fan, and I spend a lot of money. Leafs over country? I'm not answering that. <laughs> um, but I spend a lot of money to be a Leaf fan every year. Whether I buy tickets to go to games or I buy jerseys, I spend a lot of money to cheer for those guys. And in return, I spend a lot of money to cheer against some other guys, like Carey Price and Sidney Crosby. Wow. I know you're a big Sidney Crosby fan, so I won't harp on him a little bit. You can do whatever you want. But, I mean, listen, we're, the great part about the world is there's lots I, of opinions. I'm happy that I'm happy that Canada won gold at the Olympics. That's, you know, fantastic. Uh, I cheered for them in the final. Um, that must have been hard it, for you. Well, see, when it was in Vancouver, it was even more harder because, well, it was Canada-US in the finals. And it's Phil Kessel Ron and Wilson at the time. Ron Wilson and Brian Burke. And I'm like... Holy crap, wouldn't this be a really good boost for the Leafs to come back to get with a gold medal? You got Kessel who is... You're you know, insane. On, I am insane. For me, it's like Leafs and everything else. And you know, I'm super biased when it's like that. And it's just recently that I found a couple things, my wife and kid, or my fiance and kid, that have superseded the Leafs, but not by very much. And they know that. But yeah, I, I grew up watching this I team. Guess, and I guess for me, it's kind of the opposite. Like, I love the Leafs, and I'll be a Leaf fan until the day that I die, but when Team Canada's on, it's a hockey team that's successful that I can cheer for. <laughs> right. And the Leafs, I mean... They haven't given you much of no, that. No, and I'm, I'm 22, so I was in high school and elementary school, and I would get just ripped on for being a Leafs fan all the time. All the time. See, I'm much older than you. I remember the days when the Leafs were halfway decent when they were, you know, playing Ottawa every year. They still brought you more heartache than than joy, though. Well, I don't know. I, I don't think there was a You probably don't know the difference at this point because you've been through so much, but <laughs> Stockholm well, Syndrome. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, but it's, it's crappy, too, because, like, I'm such a huge Leafs fan, but at the same time, like, football's played a really big part of my life, and right. it's almost... I'm a Bears fan, which for this season was not a good thing, but the Bears have almost kind of taken a lead above the Leafs for me just because there's so much... That we've gone so, through okay then. So is Jay Cutler Dion Phaneuf? Like, where is your comparison there? Who I, did I, Jay Cutler be on the Leafs? Probably Phaneuf. Well, yeah. So I, wouldn't well, even, I, wouldn't even compare I don't know if like I compare that. if I bring those two together into the same world. It's two totally different things for me. It is. Yeah. Like, See, sorry to interrupt, on, Michael, sorry. but the, the the thing that I keep go back to though is your country is something way deeper than. I understand your love of it, and I appreciate it, and, and I think it's great, and it's what makes this a special organization, even though they have gone through so many losing seasons and tried their fans' patience. The fact that people like you guys exist is a testament to how cool this is, but your country, like, your mom might watch that game, or like your grandma, or, or like 20-something million out of 30 million of us watch the gold medal final in Vancouver. 
Like there's nothing on earth that brings us all together like that. And, and I think especially in a world uh, where we all have our phones, we all kind of have our own lives and, and, and shared experiences are less. I just think there's something special and about the country being pulled together. Completely amazing that experience. You know, being in the country that's getting pulled together. Right. You know, everywhere you go. Like I work as IT technician in, in the school system. And when I go into, when I go into a school, and it's the Olympics, and they're watching curling on on the the smart board on a projector. And you go into another room, and they're watching, you know, another event. Maybe it's ice hockey, um, or they're watching whatever. It's it's neat to be in that country that's pulled together, that is 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 all watching it. And we go through. Yeah, you're cheering for guys and stars and stripes. I, I just where's the divide there? I mean, it's, it's amazing. Necessarily, it's not necessarily for. Okay, you know what? I love the Leafs because. It was something that my grandma and I did when we were when I was younger. Right. My go to my grandma's house. We'd watch Leaf games. You know, when I moved out on my own, I'd call her up. We'd watch. We'd listen and watch Leaf games over the phone. You know, I'd be at work, couldn't watch the game. She'd call into my work, tell the supervisor the score. They'd go write it up on the board. You know, and then my grandma passed away. And if I don't continue that on, then it feels like I have lost something, a part of me. Right. So. Am I happy that Canada wins? Yeah, I'm happy for them. Do I cheer for them? Yeah, I cheer for them. But you but say them. It's the Leafs. You don't, it's like you don't include yourself in yeah. that collective, it's, even though you were born in Canada and live in Canada and you're raising I, a you know, kid I, in Canada. I'm ninth generation Canadian and my kid is 10th generation Canadian. Right. That's kind of big. You know, I mean, not really big, but it... It's unusual my Canadian, in Canada. My Canadian yeah. roots are deep. Right. And it's just, it's weird that when I watch a team that has Carey Price in Nets, and I don't have that hate for him. It just it doesn't feel right for me, regardless of where he's from. And we're way off topic, but yeah. That's fine. Well, speaking of yeah. nationality it's, it's and, and, and where people come from, that segues pretty nicely into my next question. So this is a bit of a hypothetical. Right. So the Leafs are terrible right now. Awful. If by some crazy chance they end up with the number one overall pick. Yep. And we all know how good Connor McDavid has the potential to be. Right. Would the Leafs drafting him make him a worse NHLer based on the ideology that players that get drafted by Toronto, who come to Toronto, can't handle the pressure and can't handle the weight of the weight of playing here? Is there any? I think this is the one kid that could buck that trend. You know, I think the reason we know his name well before even you knew past number one overall picks names. It's because he has like 72 points in 25 games? Yes. Or something stupid But it's like because that. he is, it's because he's next level good. Yeah. I mean, Taylor Hall, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, good hockey players. Great, yeah. But they didn't change the Oilers. I think wherever Connor McDavid lands, you're probably looking at the first season, him finding himself. I bet he'll still have a res more than respectable point total, but he won't be a total game breaker. Kind of I like bet Stamkos, because Stamkos' first year, his first half, he's better than Stamkos. Good. Oh yeah, you know I what I mean. Comparatively to Stamkos' first season, right? Where the the big campaign, the ad campaign for Tampa seen was, Stamkos. have you seen Stamkos? <laughs> seen this guy? And then they were making a joke about that. Of, then he was yeah, a healthy scratch in year guy? one yeah. at one point. Yeah, have you seen this guy? Where is he? And then all of a sudden, second half of the season, he just started tearing things up. But I'm thinking more like Sidney Crosby, who had 106 points as a rookie on what was still a terrible Penguins team. Yep. But already by year two, they made the playoffs uh, and just started their ascent. By year three, he's in a cup final, uh, loses that one. Year four, he wins the Stanley Cup. I mean, that. I think it's I'm, – I'm not saying it's, – it's too much probably to ask of Connor McDavid to think he's going to win a Stanley Cup for sure on a 
take a really awful team that drafts him and in four years win a cup, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I think he's he's that good. This is the year to tank, and, mm-hmm. and, and I hate tanking. I hate the notion of it. I hate the idea of it. I hate that I'm in the dressing room today and friggin' idiots are asking players about that because there's no way any athlete, no matter what, no matter how beaten down, no matter how rich they are, there's no way they go it, on the ice and want to lose. It just goes against everything it means to be an athlete. Right. Nobody goes out to lose. And nobody gets to this level without being amazingly competitive and good at what they do. Well, all these guys are usually the best players on their teams. Right. And that's why they make it. And they don't they don't want to lose. And even as a fan, I don't want them to lose. You right. Know, watching, a, watching the Leafs lose... Like last night to New Jersey, it's terrible to watch them lose. Am Eleven in a row, brother. Yeah, first time in ninety-seven years for them, or ninety-eight years. That's it's hard watching that. It's hard watching them lose, but the piece of inside of me is just like I know that they have to be something ridiculous, like twenty-seven and ten to make the playoffs. So, you know, part of me is a little bit happy that there's a consolation if they do lose a lot. Well, they're gonna have, they're gonna have lottery balls for sure. They're yeah. gonna have. Some small chance, yep. maybe slightly better than a small chance, depending on how the last two months of the season go, to get this guy. And that would be the hockey story probably of the decade, easily, if he ends up in Toronto. Because, as we all know, there's enough focus on this team as there is. There's going to be enough focus on him, where he ends up in Buffalo, Arizona, Edmonton. Uh, but if he ends up as a Leaf, look out. It's going to be huge. If the Leafs manage to get the second overall pick, do you think there's a story there? Uh, with with the Leafs and and Eichel, you think like Eichel is a generational talent as well? He, I don't think he's as good. I think the other issue is unless the Leafs fall all the way to 29th, they won't get the second pick because they can either win the first pick essentially and everyone gets dropped down one spot from where they finish, or that's it. Yeah. If they don't win, they'll just stay sixth last or fifth last, whatever, yep. d- d- depending on how they finish. So the odds of them actually getting the first pick are going to be better mm-hmm. than getting the second pick. Yes. Uh, and I do think Jack Eichel is going to help someone, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be the same. I think McDavid, it's pretty clear if he's healthy, uh, he's special. All right, so my next question is, the Leafs made a trade last night. They traded Ashton Carter, or sorry, Carter Ashton, and David Grohl for a seventh-round pick to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yep. A lot of people don't like that trade because they feel like they're giving away prospects, but a lot of people do like the trade because they're clearing up contracts because they're at the max of 50, now they're down a couple, which allows them to make lopsided trades. What is your opinion on that? This is a total modern-age deal. This trade doesn't happen before there's a salary cap and, and specific constraints on how you do your business and and this is probably the part some fans their eyes glaze over the thought of all this stuff because it's like math class again but you know essentially what the Leafs did is they were at the maximum you're only allowed to have 50 players under contract on your roster at any given moment and they were at that 50 meaning if a really good player is on waivers tomorrow they couldn't claim them even if they wanted them uh, they have to first get rid of a contract Uh, so what they've done here essentially is get rid of two contracts for nothing Uh, I can understand Think, looking at it, uh, you know, giving away prospects. Look, David Brawl spent time in the ECHL this year. Uh, he, he's not ever going to be an impact player at the NHL level. And Carter Ashton sealed his fate, I believe, the, the minute he got caught for performance-enhancing drugs. I mean, the Leafs, 
we can, we can debate what kind of chance it gave him because often he would dress last season with Fraser McLaren and Colt Moore and play four minutes a game yeah. and, and, and all that. But the, the facts remain. He's played 53 games, I believe, in the NHL. Hasn't scored a goal. There's only six players in the entire history of the NHL to play at least 50 games that are at forward and not score. And, you know, well, I do think Carter Ashton will spend time because he's still relatively young in the NHL down the road. I don't think that they've given up much here. And I think, honestly, the fans that really want to see change should be excited today because now the Leafs have more flexibility to make moves. And I'm certain they're going to be very aggressive here uh, as time goes on. Sure, go ahead. Oh, so we had a question from one of our listeners, uh, Quinn, who's been on the show before. He just wanted to know your thoughts on whether or not the Leafs should sort of adapt the LA and Chicago model of a rebuild and build through the prospects that they already have in their system. So a Matt Finn, a Stuart Percy, uh, Johansson in Sweden, a Nylander, and stop sort of going the route of trading for guys like Dave Boland and Christopher Stieg, sort of the teams, the, the players that the teams don't want because they feel they're deep enough, or do you think they should just blow it up and do the they, what, they, what they should have done, in my opinion, when Brian Burke was here, because I think he was probably one of the few guys in the NHL that would have the balls to just come into Toronto and say, right. okay, we're blowing this up, get ready for five years of drafting early. I think they should stick with the guys they have. Like, I think the roster players, the veteran roster players with contracts should be moved. I'm looking at you, Joffrey Lupul and Tyler Bozak and you know, possibly even uh, Dion Phaneuf if that deal is out there to be made. I think you have to start restocking a little bit. But you know, I believe there's real value in the guys you raise within your organization. And, and the Leafs haven't been that great at this. They haven't been awful either. They have produced... They just haven't produced the high-level prospects, but they've, they've produced a number of guys who've been drafted by the Leafs, come through the Marlies, and, and do play in the NHL, whether it's here or elsewhere. I, I, that's the way you go, in my opinion. And really what the NHL is about, I think, in success, is you have to have a number one center, truly. You have to have Anze Kopitar or someone like him, Jonathan Taves. You have to have a stud number one defenseman, and you have to have a very good goalie to, to ever have Stanley Cup aspirations. And I think a lot of everyone else below those positions, the other 20 guys on the roster, I think that there you could you could change a lot of rosters and and you get a, the same result. So I you think could, you could switch Patrick Kane and Phil Kessel, and, and the Black Kane Hawks. would become Kessel, and Kessel would become Kane. Right. Though, though they're interchangeable. Yeah. And because I you think, don't build a team around a winger. I think similarly, if you put Anze Kopitar and Dion, or sorry, and, and Drew Doughty on the Leafs right now, and keep everyone else so everyone kind of drops down in the order, I actually believe the Leafs would be a significantly better team just by those two players. And I know hockey isn't basketball, where obviously one. Each individual has more of an impact on the game, but I, I do believe um, that, that that I mean, look at—you can't get those guys just anywhere. I mean, Dowdy was a number two pick. Uh, Kobitar is actually the unusual one because he was 11th overall, I believe he was picked, and a bunch of chumps went ahead of him. So someone someone did well in LA and, and poor elsewhere. Probably the least screwed that one up too. If I have to go back and look at it, but but. I think you stick with what you got, and I do believe there's some value to bringing guys right up through uh, the organization. I wouldn't blow everything up. I don't think everyone who's in this organization right now is a bad hockey player that will never win. Uh, I, I think you got to start, start with the top guys because you got to have that flexibility under the cap, 
and, and maybe those guys get you prospects and help you get more and more into the system and, and you go from there and you hope you get lucky uh, with the lottery balls. So um, a lot of a lot of average fans talk about how Brendan Shanahan hides from the media. We don't see, there's only the one press conference that we've seen. Is he, like, are you able to reach him and talk to him pretty much anytime you want kind of thing? Or, or is that true he does hide? Like, explain that. Sorry. He's elusive. I don't know if yeah. he's hiding. Um, and one thing is true. I mean, I've, I've spoken, I've actually had a long conversation with Brendan about why he doesn't speak, yeah. which is sort of now we're getting existential almost. But uh, you, you can talk to him, but he really doesn't want to be quoted. He doesn't want to be the voice. He doesn't want to be Brian Burke. He doesn't want to be the the one speaking for the organization at this point. You know, I think that might change if and when Dave Nonis is removed as general manager. You know, I think, you know, for all the people have opined about Dave Nonis a lot, and I think Brennan is actually trying to allow him to do his job as best he can. And obviously he's involved in major decisions. Like, you know, Dave Nonis isn't making a trade. Um, without Brendan Shanahan at least knowing about it and discussing it with his boss. But I don't think that's different around the league. I think if Yarmo Kekalainen and Columbus makes a deal, he talks to John Davidson, the president of that team. Uh, and so I think that Brendan is very cognizant of not wanting to step on Dave's toes and, and be more out there. And lots of people are bitching about this. I'm a reporter and I don't have a problem with it. The thing, the thing that really bothers me about this is for so many years as fans, we said that we wanted upper management to stay out of the Leafs operations and we didn't <laughs> want to hear from them. Yeah. And now that someone's finally being quiet, we have an issue with it. And that just irks me. Like, I can't believe that this is a thing we're talking about. What do you want the president of the team to say? You right. look to the GM when you want to hear about the hockey team. Yeah. Right. And let's face it, I don't believe, honestly, that Brendan Shanahan is phoning GMs around the league, trying to gauge trade interests. Like, he gets involved on some level when something is seriously down the road. But it's still Dave Nonis's and, and his assistants and the, and the other guys in the front office. It's their job to to, to create a, a map and a, a plan where they're going. And Shanahan will come in and, and have his opinions. But, you know, I don't think he's the one initiating a lot of this. So I don't think it... it I mean, look, it's fine for him to talk. I mean, listen, I'll take all his quotes and write columns around them. You know, I, I think it's great when he does. But I don't have a personal issue because... I don't think it's his show as much as everyone else does. I know everyone thinks he's pulling the marionette strings and everyone else is just dancing on stage. I don't, I don't see it that way. You know, he's, he's powerful. He's got the final hockey say, but he's not. He probably can't tell you as much as if Dave Nolis can, believe it or not, about where this team's going. Well, that's, that's one of the things that I've read on Twitter. You can't take everything you read to heart, but one of the things that was mentioned was that possibly... It's from the people that say that it's Brendan Shanahan doing all the work, is that they're keeping Dave Nolis around as kind of like a mentor for his experience kind of thing. But I, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head with, with that. Well, look, I, I still think Dave Nolis gets fired sooner than later. Uh, he's the only guy that it hasn't been changed since Shanahan took over in terms of the way the organization is structured. And he's made some bad moves. Like, there's no hiding from that. The, the team that's on the ice right now that's just lost 11 games in a row, he's been here probably since 90% or more of those players were acquired. He was an assistant to Brian Burke for some of that time, but you know he is associated with this group, and this group isn't good enough. And this group is about to get blown up in some way, shape, or form, if not entirely. It's certainly going to get adjusted. Him and his staff have brought in 
50% of the players that are on this team. Um, but that's not including what he brought in while he was with Brian Burke. That's just from the direct change of right. Brian Burke to Dave Nolan. But I'm not giving that separation in my yeah, analysis. Because you it's know all what I mean? the same reign, well, essentially. He, and he would have had a role in it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, believe it or not, back when Burke was a GM, a lot of people suggested that Burke was essentially like the president, and yeah. Dave, his assistant, was actually functioning as more of the general manager and probably pulling a lot of the strings. So I, I think Dave was very involved in the decisions that were made under Brian, too. Not just, not just in the room going, yeah, it sounds like a good idea, boss. Like, I think he was... I, he, when the lease traded for Dion Phaneuf, Dave was the front man on the yep. deal. He was going to Calgary, and he would buy a ticket so as not to be seen in the press box or have his name on the list of the seating chart because they at least were trying to be covert about it. Yep. And they were. If you remember this, the story, there's never even... I woke up one Sunday morning, yep. and my buddy's like, hey, did you see the lease got Phaneuf? And I'm like, what? And I go to TSN's website, and there it was, and they're just like... You went to Sportsnet's website, didn't you? <laughs> you to something? I... I grew up TSN and it was it's great, but when they redid their website, it is trash. Like I can't find anything on there anymore. I'm not it's saying that. Trash. Those are Jeff Francis. Jeff Francis's yes. words, yes. not Chris Johnson. Chris does not have an opinion on that. No. I got to work somewhere, man. Yeah. You never know no, where your sure. next job is. Appreciate that. But. Hey, well, Sportsnet is, or Chris from Sportsnet is giving us this. No one from TSN is giving us anything. Yeah, step up TSN. What the hell? They will. They yeah. will. Just ask. Yeah. Um, but right. Was there anything else? Or? I think that's well, that's think pretty that's much it. it. Thank you it very great. much Thanks for coming much on the show. It's much appreciated. It was awesome. Yeah. Love my people in Peterborough. <laughs>